our relationships all change over time. You know, some relationships come, some relationships go. And even in our relationships with those we are discipling or mentoring, those relationships, they can change over time as well. Well, welcome to the Bible Studies for Life Adult podcast. This podcast is hosted each week by Chris Johnson and myself, Lynn Pryor. And for this session, we're going to look at two men to see how their discipling relationship changed. Chris. Great to be with you today as we do this podcast, Lynn. Um, we're going to be looking at um, specifically um, Barnabas and Paul and um it's, I think it's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, this is, Barnabas is one of my favorite Bible characters, one of my heroes. And so I'm looking forward to, to spending some time with you guys. Well, joining us for this podcast is Dr. Phil Barnes. Phil wrote the commentary that is in your leader guides. So Phil, thank you for taking the time to meet with us for this podcast. Absolutely. Glad to be here. Glad to be a part. Phil and his wife, Laura, served for many years, for 12 years, as missionaries with the International Mission Board. Uh, they are currently residing in Texas, in Waco, Texas. Uh, Phil serves as an adjunct professor for the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary. Uh, he's got his plate full and is doing uh, a good bit of writing for Lifeway right now. And we're all taking advantage of Phil's gifts and ministries and writing. Okay, so today we're going to look at Barnabas and Saul, or Paul, as he's later changed his name. Most people have heard about Paul and know a lot about him, but Barnabas, not so much. And so we are introduced to him in Acts chapter 4, when uh, in the early church, uh, just after the day of Pentecost, after Peter and John have healed the man um, in in the temple, Temple in Acts 3 and 4, uh, we're told that uh, at the end of chapter 4, that Barnabas is one of the new converts to, to the Christian faith. His name is actually Joseph, uh, but they give him a nickname, and his nickname is Barnabas, which means the son of encouragement. And we'll see how that plays out uh, in this story. That's one thing I love about the his name Barnabas is because we're going to see in these three passages today, he really lives up to that name in so many ways. Uh, this is going to be a little unusual for us today. We're going to be in the book of Acts, but we're going to move well, We're going to be in multiple chapters because we're picking up just little uh, snippets out of the life of Barnabas and Paul together. Let me begin reading in Acts chapter 9, and what has just happened, uh, Acts chapter 9, is the conversion of Saul. Saul is on his way to Damascus. He's going to take Christians. That's his plan. God has other plans. Saul is converted on the Damascus road, has an encounter with Jesus Christ, and he becomes a believer. But now we're going to pick up in verse 26, where Paul, or excuse me, Saul is on his way to Jerusalem. When he arrived in Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him since they did not believe he was a disciple. Barnabas, however, took him and brought him to the apostles and explained to them how Saul had seen the Lord on the road and that the Lord had talked to him and how in Damascus he had spoken in the name of Jesus. And Saul was coming and going with them in Jerusalem, speaking boldly in the name of the Lord. So it's interesting to read here 
and it at Saul's conversion that there are a couple of people who have impact on his life. First, God sends Ananias to um, pray for him so that his eyesight is restored, and then he's baptized. Then, as after after Saul is preaching um, and proclaiming Jesus, he's had this radical change. He's now in Jerusalem and wants to meet the apostles. And they don't want to have anything to do with him. The, the response of the Jewish community, the Christian community to Saul and his conversion is a strict hands-off. We can't trust this guy. He was persecuting the church. But then along came Barnabas. Uh, evidently, he meets Saul, learns his story, and becomes his advocate uh, and introduces him to the apostles. Yeah, just that, that story from Acts. Um... And it's just, a, like you said earlier, just a great example of him living up to his name and how often we see that in scripture that somebody is named and maybe, so Peter is given the name Peter and he's anything but a rock for how long? He's this flip floppy, you know, foot in the mouth kind of guy until Pentecost. And then in Pentecost, you go, oh, this is why Jesus called him Peter. It's not the pre-Pentecost Simon, you know, that, but he, they still call him Peter throughout that time. But so he finally lives up to his name, whereas Barnabas, it seems like he steps into it pretty quickly. I think it's a great, uh, there in verse 27 of chapter 9, uh, Barnabas, however, took him and brought him to the how often we see that word like however or but or yet in the New Testament that just transitions things from like really bad news to really good news. So you think of Ephesians 2, you're dead in your trespasses and sin, but God who is rich in mercy, you know, so there's like one, one of my uh, pastors used to say like that, but is his favorite word in the Bible because you're getting all bad news, but yet, however, so you're, you're reading the story of, of Saul. Oh, he got saved. That's great. He's going out preaching. That's great. He's going to meet the apostles. The apostles, uh, they were all afraid of him since they did not believe he was a disciple. Okay, put yourself in the situation of hearing this story for the first time. And you're like, oh, great. I thought this was the guy. And he's not going to be the guy. Barnabas, however, took him. And so there's just this twist in the story that just, you know, is, is a great uh, a great twist in the story and, and it's great encouragement, which of course that's what Barnabas is, is an encourager. Last week we had looked at the uh, mentoring relationship between Mordecai and his uh, cousin, i.e. adopted daughter Esther, where Mordecai challenged Esther to take a risk. And this idea, what we were driving at is challenging others to take that risk in ministry, to do what God wants no matter what. And now we come to this story this week, and we see Barnabas. He's the one willing to take a risk in ministry. Uh, and he's not even the leader of the church. Here's Peter and James, and they're the ones kind of over in the corner. It says a lot for Barnabas's character that he's willing to make that risk. Right. And how many throughout, throughout history do we have that were? So we know Billy Graham. We don't, I don't know who it was that spoke the gospel to Billy Graham for the first time uh, so that, that he are for the time that he, he heard it and got saved, you know, you know, Spurgeon tells the story of how he stepped into the, 
uh, church on a, on a cold winter day and heard some deacon who never really normally preached, but he happened to be filling the pulpit that day and Spurgeon gets saved. And we don't know that guy's name, but we know all the results of Spurgeon. So Barnabas is that kind of character, right? He's this guy that fulfilled this role that in some ways seems to be a, a quote, lesser role. But in kind of the narrative of the New Testament, there's no Barnabas, there's no Paul, there's no, you know, there's no Philippians and Ephesians and all the rest. So it's a it's a great story of of living up to the role that you have, that God has for you. I mean, you can read Hebrews 11 and think about the Hall of Fame of Faith, all of these great folks, and that there's these unnamed folks that the writer of Hebrews says the world was not worthy of them, those ones who were hiding in caves and getting sawn in two. And we have the opportunity to be a Barnabas exactly like that. Chris, you've done a good job of reminding us with the study that we can't mentor. Who am I to disciple someone else? Yet we can be the very, we are in great positions to mentor and disciple other people. Uh, just to look at this, to consider those in your group or those in your church, new believers, you have an opportunity who you are to mentor them. And don't just necessarily think of someone who is a, uh, an eight-year-old or a 10-year-old, uh, you know, young new believers, great to disciple them as well, but it could be someone who's uh, an older adult, but someone who's maybe they've been a Christian for a while, but no one has really helped them grow in the faith. We, each one of us has an opportunity to be a Barnabas to that individual. And I hope that you will prayerfully consider the opportunity you have to be that Barnabas. So the next part of the the, the session uh, is uh, the story of Antioch. And so those of you who are leading groups just need to know that you're going to have to fill in some gaps and give some explanation. Um, in Acts chapter 11, uh, the gospel has spread after the persecution of Stephen. Uh, some, some people have gone to Antioch and they are sharing the gospel at first just with Jews, but then they start sharing the gospel with uh, Greeks as well. And many believe and come to faith in the Lord. And, and the writer of Acts, Luke, says the hand of the Lord was with them and a great number of people came to the Lord. So there was an it was an exciting time. It was unique. This is the gospel going to uh, the ends of the earth. Antioch uh, was primarily uh, the church there is probably predominantly made up of Gentile Greek believers, and um, there are probably some Jews, but um, it, this is this is the significant movement of the gospel uh, from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria to the ends of the earth, and uh, Antioch becomes a key church uh, in in the rest of the telling of the story um, of the book of Acts. So, Lynn, you're going to pick up. Uh, reading where the church in Jerusalem hears about this movement of God. Now, uh, when the gospel spread to Samaria in the ministry of, of uh, Philip, they sent Peter and John to check things out. Uh, when uh, Peter has this encounter with Cornelius, a Gentile, 
when Peter comes back to Jerusalem, the church wants to know what's going on with the gospel going to Gentiles. This is new. And now we're seeing this happen again um, in Antioch. So at 22, words got back to the church, and I'll let you read from there, Lynn. It says, there are news about them, the church in Antioch, reached the church in Jerusalem, and they sent, sent out Barnabas to travel as far as Antioch. When he arrived and saw the grace of God, he was glad and encouraged all of them to remain true to the Lord with devoted hearts. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And large numbers of people were added to the Lord. Then he went to Tarsus to search for Saul. And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year, they met with the church and taught large numbers. The disciples were first called Christians at Antioch. So that last verse, verse 26, is probably the reference to Antioch that most believers possibly have had some kind of uh, connection with, that the, the, the believers were first called Christians in Antioch. That's probably what most people know about this church, and we'll learn more about it uh, at, at, after we finish this conversation. Uh, about the significance of the church at Antioch. Um, but Phil, um, talk to us a little bit about how, again, uh, Barnabas is faithful to his name as an encourager. Yeah, I think it's interesting, uh, too, there, where he's in verse 25 of chapter 11. Then he went to Tarsus to search for Saul. So Barnabas was not um, passive in his uh, encouragement. He wasn't like, well, Anybody that the Lord sends across my path, I'll make sure that I'm encouraging to them. I'm sure he did that as well, but he actually saw it as, a, as something that he needed to be intentional about. So he, he actively sought out. So um, something, uh, I think it was Linda was just now saying, one of you was just now saying about if there's people in your church, be intentional about reaching out to young people. One of the things I was going to say is don't assume. So you might there might be somebody in your church that comes from a believing family even, and they come to Christ and you say, well, they're coming from a believing family. I'm sure that their parents or whomever is discipling them and sharing, uh, uh, helping them to understand what it means to be a believer. Now, don't assume things like and th those parents, even if those parents are doing that, I'm sure those parents would be happy to have supplemental help, <laughs> if you will. And so just don't don't be uh shy about just approaching somebody and saying, hey, is, would you be interested in entering a discipleship relationship and a mentoring relationship? Uh, you know, the, the worst thing that happens is they can say, you know what, actually, I've got this guy and this gal that are mentoring me and discipling me and things are going really well, but I appreciate that. I mean, that's the worst that's going to happen. So don't be afraid to just reach out to those people. Again, don't make no assumptions. Be intentional about approaching people. We're blessed to be in a church right now with uh, probably a third of the church on Sunday morning are young or uh, college students. And so we, we just have more than enough <laughs> opportunities to, to mentor and to disciple young people. And uh, yeah, and they're uh, almost all the ones that we've talked to or all the ones that we've talked to have been receptive to meeting together and, and, and uh, growing in their, in their faith. Philip, I appreciate you using the word intentionality as we look for people to reach out to. You see that here with Barnabas, and you've already pointed this out, but look at the fact he goes to Tarsus. All he knows is Saul is. Now, I don't know how big Tarsus is, 
but it says he went there and searched. He didn't, he didn't, all he knew was I'm going to hit the city limit sign of Tarsus and then I'll start looking. Uh, and he stuck with it till he found him. But uh, Barnabas knew the church needed discipling the church at Antioch. They needed support. And what he did, he went and found Paul really to encourage him, Paul, you need to step up. You need to be serving the church as well. Again, there's a great reminder for us how we need to be stepping up and encouraging others in what they need to be involved doing. So the Church of Jerusalem had confidence in the character of Barnabas, sent him to check it out. When he sees the grace of God, he is excited about it. He encourages them. He tells them, you all remain faithful to the Lord. And then he finds somebody who can train them. And for a year, they teach. The, the Christians are first called Christians in Antioch. And uh, I'd, it's important for us to note that they didn't pull together a committee and say, we need a new name for our movement. We need a new name for our group. So uh, let's do a poll and find out what uh, causes people to react and be positive to, to this. Uh, in all likelihood, this is people on the outside who are seeing these believers in action and notice that there's something unique and different about them, that they are followers of Christ. So it's almost like a nickname possibly a term of derision uh, where they're calling these people Christians or little Christ or Christ followers. And that's how the name that we carry today uh, started. Again, there is a great application here for us. And I'm going to talk to those of you who lead Bible study groups. So I want you to pull up in your chair and I want you to listen real good. You've got people sitting in your Bible study group right now. They need to be out serving in the church. They need to be maybe taking on and helping launch a new Bible study. We as teachers, we often are hesitant to let go of the people in our groups because we don't want our group to shrink in size. We want our group to grow. And so we don't want to let go of those people. But God has used you in the life of those individuals to disciple them. And now it's their turn to step out and lead. But you're the key person because of this role of discipleship you've had. You are a key person to say, I think it's time for you to step up and lead. And maybe what needs to happen is you, teacher, you need to go start a new class and leave and leave the current class you're leading. Lead it for that new person to lead. Uh, again, that's what Barnabas has done. He went out and did some intentional. I'm going to pull this person in. I'm going to pull Saul in and he's going to work alongside me in this ministry. I love the church at Antioch. And so j just to fill in some gaps, the next thing that happens is a, a prophet shows up and says there's going to be a famine and the church decides that they're going to uh, receive a collection and they send uh, the, the, the money that they receive to, by way of uh, Barnabas and Saul. They, they take that money back. They take that gift to Jerusalem. Um, the end of chapter 12, we're told, that uh, they come back to Antioch after that. In chapter 13, they pray, they're praying together um, and worshiping together, fasting. And God, the Holy Spirit speaks to them and says, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the ministry that I'm calling them to. 
they pray over them, they lay hands on them, and they send them off. And this is the beginning of the first missionary journey of Barnabas and Saul. And they they leave. And so in, in chapters 13 and 14, we hear about the first missionary journey. Yeah, and it's interesting as, as you're relaying all that, Chris, to see how their relationship has changed. When we began, it was Barnabas and Paul, Saul's this new believer. Then Barnabas brings him alongside, and they're kind of co-laborers together. Now they go on this missionary journey, and they're co-laborers together. But there's something interesting that happens on that missionary journey where it's not Barnabas and Paul. It gets more referred to as Paul and Barnabas. There's a sense their roles change. And Philip, I know because you've got a mission, a heart for missions, uh, you've got to love this church in Antioch, this mission-sending congregation. Not just they were the first ones to reach Gentiles, but they also, well, we're going to go out and reach Gentiles. Yeah, absolutely. So, And, you know, it says, as they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work for which I have called them. Then after they fasted, prayed, and laid on hands, they sent them off. So there was this, again, this immediate obedience to what the Spirit had asked them to do. Uh, now, I guess, obviously, Barnabas and Saul weren't, kind of neophytes, you know, new, new believer kind of folks that it's not who they were. So that it's not this impetuous kind kind of thing. Uh, but they they felt that the spirit was leading them to set aside these two men and a great example of sending their best. Right. So this is again, this wasn't like, oh, let's see if we can, you know, scrounge up a few guys that are kind of around, not doing a lot and we'll let them go. Uh, I mean, this must have been scary that you're going to send off your two of your best guys. Uh, but you're just saying, uh, Lynn, about even take that down to a micro level at, at a group. You know, we we just were part of a, a community group at our church that we recently uh, multiplied. And, you know, we said, well, we're going to send off some of the, the, the stronger members of our group. You know, and it's kind of scary to let them go, not just from a size perspective, um, but from a perspective of if you if they leave, then you're, you're they're taking with them a, a level of commitment. They're the ones that are always there, a level of service. They're the ones that are always volunteering to do things uh, and then a level of uh, just competency in the, in the conversations that you have about Scripture. They're the ones that are staying on point and getting us to the task. And you're like, who are we going to have left? We're not necessarily going to have left a great, robust conversation. So you're going to have to build that back up again. And that can be a scary thing for people. Here you have these men going out. Uh, of course, we know Barnabas and, and, and Saul and John Mark goes with them. And now, Philip, you teach a lot of classes on missiology as an adjunct professor. Paul and Barnabas did not have the advantage of you teaching them. I mean, there was no mission trips to look back and, well, read, read this manual, read this book. Yet God led them out and the Holy Spirit worked through them. But it is interesting to know that because uh, this is going to be important as we look at Acts 15, that these as these men go out, not all of them succeeded on this missionary journey. So uh, before we get to the next reading, and that's a good point, uh, Phil, why don't you tell us about the Acts 15 and the Jerusalem Council and the purpose of it before we get to um, what uh, Lynn has just alluded to? 
Right. So Acts uh, 15 says, Some men came down from Judea and began to teach the brothers, unless you are circumcised, according to the customs prescribed by Moses, you cannot be saved. So there was this idea that had arose that said, uh, okay, now that we're taking this message about Jesus into uh, places and among people who are not uh, Torah followers, they're not people who are following the customs that have been handed down from from their forefathers. They're saying, we think that they should become Jews first, and then after they become Jews, then they can become Christians. And so it says, after uh, uh after Paul and Barnabas had engaged them in serious argument and debate, Paul and Barnabas and some others were appointed to go up to the apostles and elders in Jerusalem about this issue. So they, they go up to have this conversation uh, at the Jerusalem, uh, at the Jerusalem church and what becomes known as the Jerusalem council. And they have this debate about whether or not it should, uh, Gentiles, non-Jews should become Jews, uh, in order to become Christians. Um, the missiological takeaway is often uh, couched in the idea of if we as Americans go to, uh, you know, China or if Chinese Christians go to Burma or if Burmese Christians go to Nigeria or whatever, um, the, the, the missionaries are going to come with a culture that, that's, that's unavoidable. We're, we're going to come with a culture that we have, that we've grown up with whether it be, and that's going to include language, and that's going to include dress, uh, manners of, uh, of eating, and how you sit, and how you do different things. And so the, the missiological takeaway is often, you know, do, we, do they need to become like us in those ways in order to become Christians? And of course, the answer is no. They, they don't need to learn how to speak English. They don't need to wear coat and tie on Sunday mornings or or whatever uh, might be a custom from your home place. Instead, they can have an encounter with Jesus directly through the scriptures, uh, and then the Lord will lead them to develop a church that is appropriate for their setting. We call it an indigenous church, and an indigenous church is just like a, a plant. Uh, an indigenous plant is a plant that grows naturally in that soil. And so an indigenous church would be a church that grows up naturally in the soil in which the gospel is planted and that it looks like it belongs there. Uh, now, of course, there's another piece to this in which uh, the church is always going to be countercultural. So there's a there's a sense in which we don't want to say, well, it won't look it'll look just like the surrounding culture. Well, hopefully not. Hopefully the church doesn't look exactly like the surrounding culture. The church is always supposed to be standing uh, against prevailing winds of sin in, in a given culture. Um, but there, uh, it, it doesn't need to look like the culture that, that, that came along with the missionaries and the gospel. It, it's going to have its own unique way of doing things uh, and its own unique patterns and uh that that'll grow up as the spirit leads those new believers to to plant and build churches in their area. Well, as we see with Paul and Barnabas, as they went on that first missionary journey and planted churches, after the Jerusalem Council, they decide, let's go back to planted. Let's just check on them. I mean, that's 
that, that to me is another example of good mentoring, kind of that a sense of accountability. We want, we, we want to, we want to keep with you to see that you keep growing. What happened was this is where a big change happens in their relationship. Uh, they're ready to go back. Uh, Barnabas says, yeah, let's do this. And you know, Acts 15 verse 37, it says, Barnabas wanted to take along John who was called Mark. Now in the first Missionary journey, John Mark is mentioned. We don't know the details, but at one point, John Mark hightailed at home. We don't know if he got frustrated, he got homesick, missed his mother, uh, culture shock. I don't know. We we don't know, but he left. So now a second time they're going to go, Barnabas is ready to take John Mark again. Paul insists should not take along this man who had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not gone on with them to the work. They had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company, and Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed off to Cyprus. Paul chose Silas and departed after being commanded by the brothers and sisters to the grace of the Lord. Now, here are two men, one mentored the other, one discipled the other, and they got a point where they're both in leadership, and now they're going their own directions. They're kind of separating. Now, it sounds like, uh, well, let me just ask the question. Barnabas and Paul, which one was right? Which one was wrong in the disagreement? <laughs> well, I think Barnabas was right. He, he wanted to give somebody a second chance. He was true to his nature. Let's let's give him a second chance. Let's live it. Come on. He's grown. It's, let's let's take on John Mark with us. And Paul was uh, like Paul is in other places in the New Testament. I got up in Peter's face and told him in Galatians okay. 2, uh, 1 and 2. Uh, um, no, uh, he, he, he ran out on us in Pamphylia. We can't count on him. Uh, so, again, sharp, sharp division. You see where I lead in the argument. Somebody want to take the other side? Well, I, I think there's there's one argument to be made, at least I've heard this made, that is that Paul is in the right, and that's why at this point forward the story kind of follows Paul. So if you're, if you're watching a movie and there's a agreement, and then you know the camera kind of goes with Paul. So I, I'm not sure um, if if that's right, but I know that's one kind of line of argument. Um, what I like to say is uh, similar to what Chris just said, is that Barnabas stayed true to his calling and Paul stayed true to his calling. And so so Barnabas exactly. stayed on point in terms of uh, my calling is to encourage people. I'm going to keep encouraging people. Paul said, my calling, calling is to preach the gospel where it's never been proclaimed before. I'm, I'm headed to Spain and I, I don't have time for this little drama session we're going to have to have. And the, the all of the you know <laughs> therapy sessions we're gonna that this is gonna require. So that's not me, Barney. You do you, and I'm gonna do me. And he kind of sets off and does his thing. And I think that there is a takeaway here in terms of don't let other people's calling become your calling. So you, you and this goes to the mentoring relationship, by the way, because you might be mentored by somebody who has a gifting and a passion that you end up not really having. And that's okay. Like you don't have to be that guy. So if you get discipled by a uh, by a pastor 
And that doesn't mean you have to become a pastor. You get discipled by a missionary. It doesn't mean you have to become a missionary. There's things that you're going to glean and learn from that person that doesn't mean you're going to become a carbon copy of that person. And so we see in this relationship that each one of these men remained true to what they felt like the Spirit had called them to and to their task. I think that's a that's a good takeaway for us is to remain true to what we feel like the, the Spirit has called us to. And even if that means that the camera pans away from you and you're, you're Barnabas and you don't get to be a part of the story anymore because you kind of fade to the background to do your thing and being an encourager and Paul steps to the forefront and he gets the attention, you know, I, we're going to, this thing, we're going to be marked by our faithfulness, you know, not by our results. And so being faithful to, to our individual, the things that are in front of us, I think is paramount. That is such valid truth that we need to hold on to that and put it in my own words, they were both right. Because as you said, Philip, they stay true to their callings. And so it's, uh, it, we, sometimes we look at this and we feel sad. Oh, think what they could have done if they'd stayed together and they hadn't disagreed. Yet I look at what God did. You have now two missionary trips going on. Granted, we don't know the details about Barnabas's trip, John Mark with him. We don't know the details, but we do know two trips happened. We do know some other things, though. Uh, John Mark, we believe, is the writer of the Gospel of Mark. So Barnabas had influence there. Paul wrote 13 books in the New Testament. And Barnabas' faithfulness to encourage and to introduce him to the apostles and to work alongside him in Antioch and the first missionary journey obviously had influence and so Barnabas influences a great amount of what we have in the Bible because he influenced John Mark and he influenced Paul. And I don't know if we can say Paul changed his he, he changed his opinion or if it was the fact that John Mark grew up in the faith. But we do see two incidences in Paul's writings where he references John Mark and mentions he's beneficial to me in my ministry. Yeah, send him to me. We need him. I need him. He will help me. I think that's great that there may have been a disagreement at one point, but it all got resolved and ministry happened. And we also have, we don't have evidence from, from scripture, what happened with, with Mark, but there we have pretty good evidence from church history, church tradition that Mark had a significant influence in Africa, particularly. So Thomas Oden has written a book called African memory of Mark or something like that. And, uh, and there's this, there's good evidence that Mark's, had a significant impact on bringing the gospel into into North Africa in particular. Um, so, yeah, I, I think it is. So another way that uh, it is worth saying that there was two, you know, two missionary teams that came here. And another way of looking at it too, by the way, so Lynn said you're both, they're both right. Another way to say is they were both wrong and God was still sovereign. So like, it, okay, like, so like they, they both were kind of being, you know, knuckleheaded, and and not listening to one another, and yet God in His sovereignty said, "Okay, great, I get two missionary teams rather than one." Uh, and so, and again, we can look down through church history and see how often that kind of thing happens. So the the Second Baptist Church splits off from the First Baptist Church, you know, because of the color of the color of the choir robes or whatever. And but what you end up with is two witnesses for Christ in, in the in the city. So uh, God often uses our sins and our shortcomings um, 
for, for greater purposes anyway. So I don't think at the end of the day, we have to be even too terribly concerned uh, about assigning rightness and wrongness. Thank you, Philip, for being a part of this conversation. You had some great insights as we looked at uh, the life of Barnabas and Paul together. Thank you. Happy to do it. Next week, we're going to continue with Paul. Now, this week, we've been looking at Paul. He's he's the mentee. Uh, Barnabas is mentoring him. We're going to shift gears next week, and Paul is now going to become the mentor of Timothy. So we do hope you'll be with us for that podcast next week. But we hope you have a great Bible study with your group as y'all talk about Barnabas and Paul this week.